Welcome to episode three of the Clinch Perfect podcast. Uh, we've got no Ricky this week to host us, but I'm Ben and I'm here with Tom, and we're going to be breaking down all things UFC 257. Uh, before we do that, there are a couple uh, news bits from the MMA world we want to touch on, and I also just want to say, go and follow us at the Runner Up HQ and at Clinch Perfect on Twitter. So before we get into UFC 257, we've got to talk about something that happened just before the event. Um, Otman Azaitar getting cut, not just from the card, but from the entire UFC. Um, I've got two questions for you, mate. One is how big of a loss is it losing a, an undefeated prospect? Two first round finishing is two fights in the UFC. And number two, what was in the bag? I'm just going to go, go right out there. What was up with him? Why, why would you make such a stupid decision when you're on probably the biggest card of your life? You're fighting in your home territory, essentially. Like, I, I, I can't get over it, honestly. When, when the news broke, I was, I was a bit like, no, this can't be real. Like, no fighter is going to be stupid enough to do that when Dana's in the building, let alone when um, Conor McGregor's on the card. It's just crazy, especially with everything that's going on in terms of coronavirus and, and how it spreads and all that kind of stuff. I just can't believe that they'd, he'd, he'd think that it's the right thing to do to break the bubble and and cut his, cut, cut his um, wristbands off. It's just... Um, absolutely mind block, mind boggling. It is a big blow for the UFC though. Like it, it, it looks a real handful. Um, I'm sure I was Brave for that fight as well. I was going well, to. I'm, I'm, <laughs> so I'm, I'm hearing that um, Brave might pick him up. I think mm. he might be going to Brave, which would make sense if you look at what's happened to Bogatov. Like Bogatov went to to Brave after his. Do you think there's any route back for him if uh, he goes somewhere nah. else and wins yeah, like, ten in a row with ten first round KOs, or is that it? No, I think that's it. Like it's, it's kind of like the Paul Daly effect, right? Like yeah, you, you get so many chances and then you blow your your chance and I, I just honestly mate i am baffled i just get like it, 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 this bubble right is probably like the most secure thing apart from fort knox like they've worked so hard on making it covid safe and the covid secure and all that kind of stuff everyone's tested as many times as you can probably name but it's just and it's like a few days as well like it doesn't yeah, it's not like exactly like when your life. goes back home after his fight he's got to be in quarantine for like two weeks it's a couple days it's a couple days to the biggest event of your life the biggest he could have made himself a big star, and he's, yeah. instead he's yeah. made himself look like a big idiot. Like it's yeah. just okay. Oh. But the more important question, because I've got I've got a ridiculous conspiracy theory. Dana talked about it. I mean, it sounded like some Mission Impossible movie. Um, you know, the guy <laughs> that broke in was scaling across balconies and like, like you know, across five Spider-Man different shit. rooms. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> um, I've got a, I've got a good conspiracy theory, but I, I want to hear what you know your best mad conspiracy theory for what was in the bag. What was the bloke doing? What was it all about? I think, do you want my honest answer or do you want my, my, my half-hearted jokey guess? Give both, give both. Okay, so um, Renan Brow's soul, that was in the bag. Um, no, I'm sure. I, I think, to be honest, it, maybe it was close. I mean, the cynic in me is, is maybe thinking maybe performance enhancing drugs, but I don't think he'd be stupid enough to do that on on. on uh, an area which is so microscopic yeah. like their focus is so intense there's no way you'd, you'd do that but like to scale up to someone's balcony not like just breaking into the hotel itself but like getting through past the guards all that kind of stuff like i don't know clothes just seems a bit bullshit i i, I don't buy it at all oh there's no way there's no way that's what it was no, his like, excuse, I, there's no way I, unfortunately um, i've reached out to people um I've had a couple of people who were like, yeah, it's a bit more to it than that, but no one's ever, no one's given me like oh, a concrete you know answer to was actually in the bag. Do you want to hear my theory? Yeah, go for it. 
all we've seen, well, not all we've seen actually, but a lot of a lot of uh, the um, MMA social, you know, news channels and the UFC account, I think, have even posted about it in the build up to this fight. Have tweeted videos and and pictures of oh look at this shiny watch Conor McGregor has. It's got this many <laughs> diamonds on it and this much gold on it. Why else would a dude be scaling across balconies with a bag in you know I picture him like dressed you know head to toe in black like a ninja. Just impossible kind he of was, stuff. Yeah, he yeah. was stealing <laughs> Connor's watch. That's what he was there to do. That is my theory. See, I'm, I'm obviously the guy all that. the time about fighter pay. That watch is worth more than you know <laughs> ten fights for a Zaitar. He's pro- you know if, if they got the watch but he got cut, it's probably worth it. It's either that or it's those bloody smoother machines. Did you see on Dana's Instagram? They said yeah, like yeah. three. I reckon it's one of those. They're, like, they're worth that pretty pop. Those look pretty class, actually. <laughs> right. Um, we've got to quickly move on to. Um, oh, no, maybe it's a Manscaped Razor. That would be, be all, That would also that be, could be it. Or, or a P2 protein pack, whatever they're called. <laughs> P3, is it P3? Um, a Medello bottle. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on to uh, a fight that got announced just before this weekend, which was that Alexander Hernandez is going to fight Tiago Moises on February 27th. Um, I'll, I'll ask for your, th- your thoughts on that fight, but also I just want to read out the fights on that card because it's an absolutely insane card. Um, Dominic Reyes, Jiri Prohaska is the main event. We've got a Sun Shao against Rowney Barcelos. We've got William Knight against Alonzo Menafield. Somebody's dying soon in that fight. Um, if, if it goes past the first round, they're both going to die from, from exhaustion anyway. So one of them needs to get an early knockout. We've got Randy Brown against uh, Cowboy Oliveira. You've got Ankalaev against Nikita Krylov. And you've got now Hernandez and Moises. What a card that is. Yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough test for Hernandez. Obviously, he's, he's rebuilt himself. It's, he's, he's a high ranked fighter in that fight, fight. but um, I can see him losing that. You know, I can see yeah. him losing that. Moises, Moises is, is no joke. I mean, he beat Bobby Green, Michael Johnson. Like That's that's a pretty stacked ledger. It lost to Benil Dariush, but it was a decision. wasn't KO'd or anything. So he's, he's definitely got a chin. Uh, I... I think it's kind of like one of those make or break fights for Hernandez. I know it sounds so crazy because he's what, like two and 11 or something or whatever his record yeah. is. I know he's, but you can't, he's lost to Cerrone who, let's face it, is on the, the downward spiral of his career or the downward trajectory. If you lose to Moises, you go back even further and I don't know how much more patience the UFC have got with him. Like, it feels like they're just feeding him to the sharks all the time with this fight. Like the last yeah, fight the, D- the Doba matchup was brutal as well. Yeah, um, you know, I was feeding him to an absolutely red hot up and coming guy, knocking yeah. everyone the fuck out. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's a weird one. I, I think I, it's a weird fight. I know you don't like it when they match up. I was going to, you know, it's, it's not re- really fair to call Hernandez a prospect, like you say, because he's been in UFC a while, but he is still young. Yeah, um, so well, it's kind of is twenty five matched up. Yeah, um, right. so it is, it is quite a weird one to be fair. Um, but a banging fight, and that entire card is amazing. I can't wait for that. So let's move on to what we're all here for, which is UFC 257. Um, early prelims, Amir Albazi gets the win against uh, Zuma Gulov. I think we both predicted that one. And maybe I would have seen a bit more grappling rather than just in the third round, but it pretty much went how we thought it would, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't know how one of the judges scored it the way he did, but I thought Albazi looked class. Like He just kept it... I mean, in the striking especially, like he picked his punches perfectly. And I thought, um, Zimagulov, I'm good. Well, yeah, I'm, I probably but- butchered that pronunciation. But I thought, I thought Zimagulov looked, I mean, he threw a lot of punches, but if you actually look at what landed, it didn't really look like Albazi was that troubled. Yeah, no, I noted crazy. that in the, like commentators in were going crazy, like, oh, he's like, he's hit him or he's tagged him. And like, but if you actually look at the replay, a lot of the wild punches were missing. 
when I, I, when I watched the tape on him, I thought he was that same. And it, and it happened in the fight where he doesn't actually land that much volume. Um, yeah. So I thought he kind of needs to get a finish because if it goes to the scorecards, Albazi throws more, like lands more and has the grappling that he can just take him down and control him for a round. So um, I could kind of only see him getting a win by finish. There was no way he was going to win on the scorecards because he doesn't land enough volume. And I noticed that in his, his last couple of fights as well. I know he had a close decision loss. Um, to, uh, but I thought it was quite good. From but... I thought it was quite good for Albasi because he kind of showcased his striking a bit more. Like, I thought he showcased the... good maturity and and smarts as well to to go to the mat in the third round because you know, like you say, the striking was good, but then they were close round. Like they could have easily gone the other way if the judges were on, you know, whatever um, the judges tend to be on sometimes. So I thought you know, good striking, but then also you know having the intelligence to think right. Let's just make sure this third round's mine. I'm just going to sit on top yeah. of it for five minutes. Yeah, it was, it was good tactical acumen. I hope his corner man gets into the FC. Actually, I can't remember his name for the life of me, but I've seen them both train at London Street Fight, London Street Fighters. I don't know why I, I've, I've had this like for the entire past week. Okay, I keep on saying Street Fighters. I mean to say Shoot Fighters, Shoot Fighters, London Street Fighters. I've seen them both train there. Um, he's a he's a handful as well, but yeah. It's onwards and upwards for me. I, I have a feeling they're going to fast track him just because he's kind of got that um, Middle Eastern pull as well. Uh, he was doing all the rounds on, on Arabia TV and things like that. So it'd be good to see him getting a promotional push. Yeah, impressive, impressive performance, definitely. Um, next up, name I definitely can't pronounce. Because, um, Ev, I thought it was Evloev, but John Anik was saying like Evloev. Evloev, so, yeah. Um, or something like that. And uh, John Anik's always right. So um, he beat Nick Lentz after spending the entire first five minutes in a guillotine or various guillotines. Um, so he showed good composure there for a, for a young undefeated fighter to not panic in those guillotines. And then uh, Lentz retired after the fight. So, um, you know, pretty... The fight itself wasn't overly eventful, but I think you know a good performance from uh, from Evloev, definitely. Yeah, I mean, man's got a rubber neck, doesn't he? Like, yeah. you, can, you can't guillotine him. You can't. And Lens is a good guillotine as well. Yeah, I know. Really yeah, it's, he's, it's he's definitely. And, he, and also, he's a seasoned vet. Like, yeah, he's had however however many fights he's had in the UFC off the top of my head. I can't remember, but I can't. I for me, Evloev, as the the rounds drew on. He got better. Like you don't really see, you don't usually see that in a prospect. You usually, you usually see them like gas out or tire out. But yeah. he kind of switched things up. Like he spent the first round <laughs> somehow fending off a really tight choke. He didn't even fend we... it off. He just sat in it. Yeah, I know. I, 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 it's ironic because I, I was messaging Dan Hardy and I was like, "How the hell is this guy defending this this choke? Like genuinely, like what is what what training is he doing to, to well to not succumb to such a, such a tight hold?" And Dan was like. Nah, he's just really flexible. Like he's literally like elastic girl. And I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, fair enough. I mean, some people just have that natural, um, yeah, <laughs> that, that gene. But yeah, no, I thought it was, it was class. He, I thought he looked better than the Mike Grundy fight. Um, I thought Mike gave him quite a tough time. But for me, it was just yeah. The second, third round on was it was only going in one one direction. Um, oh, for sure, yeah. And, yeah. But it, I, I know everyone talks about like his grappling and like his. his defense and all that and it's ground defense and all that kind of stuff but i want to talk about his striking because i mean he pieced lens up just he lens face at the, at the end of the fight like yeah. man was bloody I know, I know he's a veteran and i know he's got a load of scar tissue but christ man was bloody like yeah it, striking looked real fast yeah i mean it's, uh, it's sad to see lens go though but i'm kind of glad he went out the way he did rather than like on the back end of a, a nasty finish or whatever like well did you see what he said in in him announcing why he was retiring he's he cha- been channeling his inner bisping in in this in this fight this weekend because he said that he after his last fight he'd like lost i don't know what he said yeah. like half of his vision or 60 yeah, percent of his the, vision was, or was that, something it was arnold allen wasn't it that fight i think yeah, i think so 
Um, so you know, fair fucking play. Yeah. Um, you know, going in there. Got some serious cajones. <laughs> an absolute killer of an up and coming prospect, and uh, and you could say nearly getting the finish. I don't know if that's um, really fair because you never really you know thought, oh my god, he's going to tap because he just seemed to be fine. But um, yeah, still still a good effort. Um, we'll move on to the prelims. Oh, do uh, we have Marcin, to? <laughs> Marcin Pragnial, um really a make or break fight for him. He was coming off three first round losses, so I think he loses this. He's out. And, um, you know, Khalil Roundtree, I'll talk about it later, but what the hell was he doing? Um, had him bad, had him hurt bad in the second, gassed out pretty bad in the third, and uh, Pratniel takes round one and round three and wins a decision. I saw some controversy about this decision. I thought it was the right decision completely. I thought round three only won round two. Yeah, I agree. I thought, yeah, I mean, I think people will just jump on the... the... Well, I think not, people not had too much money on Roundtree was what it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll just think about the, the fact that he dropped. Well, he didn't really drop him because he didn't actually go to ground. But yeah. you know what I mean? Like, he, he came close. I think that's what people will jump on. Yeah, I thought, to be honest, I, I was falling. Well, I wasn't falling asleep, but it was one of those fights you're watching at like some god on earthly hour in the morning and you're really waiting for McGregor and, and Poirier. And it was one of those fights that I was just like, I'm not interested because it's either going to be a Roundtree KO or Roundtree's going to gas himself out and look like dog crap and that's exactly what happened like really disappointing like Roundtree is a guy who has ridiculous power but he doesn't land enough to actually capitalize on that power and again uh, Pratnio is really awkward in his style like makes it really uncomfortable to fight him in the, in the cage because he's so unorthodox um I don't really want to use too many complimentary words because I don't think he's that great a fighter which if anything kind of makes me more annoyed that Roundtree just looks so shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. It sounds really harsh, but if you're losing to someone like Prakno, then what are you doing in the UFC? Like, really, yeah, I, really... I mean, I felt the same way. Um, I, I had money on Roundtree, like a lot of people did, but I wasn't mad at him. I was mad at myself for falling for <laughs> it again. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I watched it like, oh, why did I do this to myself again? Um, I'll talk about that in the next fight because, mate, yeah. I completely agree. But We'll move on um, to the women's fight again between Juliana Pena and uh, Sarah McMahon. And there's, there's only really one thing we want to talk about in this. Uh, Pena got a, a somewhat impressive win, um, won most of the grappling exchanges and then got the sub in round three. But then she kind of ruined it all by calling out Amanda Nunes, which was... Does she have a death wish? Genuinely. I mean... Well, just the most overambitious call out I've heard in a long time. Coming, coming off a loss, you're then like, all right, I'm going for the big big guns. But to be well, fair, just a loss. actually, thinking about, think, she's think, thinking about it. She's submitted by GDR. She just think, got yeah, but you, you were thinking about it. Didn't um, I swear Megan Anderson lost before her like her last fight? I swear she lost to um, oh, what's her name? Who's the girl who got pieced up? Spencer. Oh, Canadian. I can't remember her name. Yeah, yeah, Felicia Spencer. That's it. Yeah. I, I don't know whether it was Anderson's second last fight, but she has lost to Spencer. Yeah. Um, I, don't know. I feel like, I feel like, I'm, I'm sure. I, I could be wrong. MMA fans, I apologize. It's really late. <laughs> um, been a long day, but I'm, but yeah, I'm pretty what, sure. How, I'm pretty how sure. quick would that be over the second Amanda takes that to the mat with Pena? I mean, she doesn't need to take it to the mat. She can just she knock her out. <laughs> she got subbed by Durandame. <laughs> that's over in three seconds or less if it goes to the mat maybe I, maybe I think it's over, like I think 30, it's over three seconds, seconds or less I think it's over three seconds or less on the feet to be honest never mind on the I mat it, yeah. like, it's such a mismatch I, of all the cool, but to be fair look at that I mean we said this in the last podcast right like that division isn't going to be around for long anyway yeah there's not that much to call out in that division no. to be I, I mean I'd pay to see Julian Payne versus Megan Hansen for um, science <laughs> <laughs> yeah um we'll move on we'll move on we don't want to shit on it too bad but um 
I would say that the, the biggest thing you should be looking at in a call out is a that it's actually going to advance your career. Just call like, it needs to be something to advance your career, and just B, it needs to be something that can actually happen in real life. Look at Nina <laughs> Ansaroff's Twitter. Just just go on that. Go have a look. Go look at go look at Nina Ansaroff's tweets. And that's what you need to know. You don't even need to watch the call out. <laughs> well, Nunez, you can tell by Nunez's tweet that like she was kind of like she must have been watching it and been like, "What the f- what the fuck?" <laughs> like she must have been so taken aback when she heard her, her name on that. Um, we'll we'll talk quickly about um, Brad Tavares getting back in the win column. Obviously, lost to uh, to Izzy, and then uh, he had another loss after after Izzy, who I'm forgetting. But um, really, insanely impressive. Did you lose to uh, Yes, that was it. Yeah, he got knocked out. I think by Shabazian. Um, insanely good takedown defense to uh, to fend off Antonio Carlos Jr. for um, 11 of 12 takedowns he stuffed, which is one of the best like ratios I've ever seen of takedown defenses to attempts in a fight. Yeah, do you know, if anything, I feel like I was more disappointed with Antonio Carlos Jr. than I was impressed with Brad Tavares. Like I'd picked, not because I'd, I'd bet or anything, I'd just picked that I thought that Antonio Carlos Jr. might be able to get it to the ground and, and get a ridiculous take. Uh, submission but it was just i don't know it was it was one of those sleeper fights for me like it was just like and it was either going to be a boring decision or some like ridiculous finish and unfortunately we got the boring decision i wasn't really enamored by the fight but it's good to see brad tavares get back in the win column i think he's a great fighter great talent um yeah there are questions over his chin but when you're fighting the level of opposition he's fought in the past like three and a half years yeah he's, <laughs> he's, he's fought some absolute killers i mean he's fought robert whitaker yuel romero He's um, all like the fighters said, are Shibazian. up and coming, hasn't he? Um, yeah, right. all, all the top, well, most of the top middleweights have gone through Tavares at some point. And yeah, most of them have beat him, but, um, you know, fair play to him for taking all those fights. And um, he's got some good wins on his resume as well. So yeah, I was, I was happy to see him get back in the win column and, um, you know, see what's next for him soon, I guess. Uh, didn't take much damage in the fight as well, so that's good because it means no lengthy layoff. Um, and move on to another prospect. You just talked about Amir Albazi. Um, I get a kind of similar feeling about um, Saru Khan, who has that kind of grapple heavy, but can, you know, strike with the best of them um, to him as well. Uh, gets his decision win against Matt Frivola, who um, I think looked better than than people thought he was going to look, to be fair to Frivola. I think he put up more of a fight than people thought he would. Yeah, can I just, right, can I just clear something up? I saw a load of hate on Twitter um, at Saru Khan because he missed weight. If you actually know what went on behind the scenes, the reason he missed weight is because he thought his fight was cancelled. He didn't think he had a fight. So he was like, right, yeah. I'm going home then. There's a bit more to it than, oh, we just missed weight. He didn't miss weight intentionally. He missed weight because the UFC didn't get their act together and, and give him a, a new fight until, like, oh, you're not you're not weight cutting? What's going on? Yeah, it, was I, like the, I it was like the last 20 minutes of the weigh-in that they yeah. announced that he was fighting for Vola. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I, to be fair, great matchup. I actually preferred that to the original matchup. Uh, that sounds crazy, but I'm really hot on Matt Favela. Really good um, performance against Louis um, Pena. Uh so to to come out and dominate him, which is essentially what he did, I was really really impressed. Like Sarukin's grappling is just ridiculous. Like and in his last fight, he showed off his striking as well. Um, yeah, so, exactly. He's, yeah, he's, 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 he's becoming a very well-rounded fighter. Which uh, his weight class, you need to be anyway. But oh yeah, like it's it's interesting how you can tell that he he picks on like his opponent's weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Like Favola is not necessarily like the strongest grappler. Sorry, he knew that and kept on taking him to the ground at pretty much like every opportunity. I, I don't think Provola, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't remember the last. I don't think Provola stuffed the takedown. I think I may, we may have got back to his feet like a split second. He, he got up a few times, but he was back down within 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and I think so. that's just the relentless pressure, right? And which is more impressive considering the fact he missed weight. So he wasn't fighting in his optimum weight. 
um, Karen and Water. Like, yeah, I was really impressed. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get into uh, what's what's next for him later on the matchmaking. Um, so moving on to the main card, we've got a another hype train dying on Fight Island. Amanda Ibas <sighs> against uh, Marina Rodriguez. Um, I know you're going to have a little rant about that later, but let's talk about the fight first. Um, first round went, I think, pretty much as we all expected it to go. Rebas gets it to the mat and and looks pretty dominant. Didn't pass guard, which was a little bit of an odd decision. And then uh, what happens in the second round? She gets knocked out, yeah. Um, so I've, I've written on the notes here, first of all, what the fuck was Herb Dean doing on the stoppage? Uh, he, <laughs> I mean, he sort of half stopped it and then both the fighters were like, oh, he stopped it. And then he was like, nah, keep going. And then he was like, ah, no, I will stop it. Um, I mean... Why is Herb Dean still getting main events? I do not know because he showed in that fight and when he failed starting the main event that uh, he's not the best ref in the business anymore. Right. So obviously I got on with Dan and Dan got in a bit of hot water the other month for saying like protect your fighters. It wasn't necessarily about that. It's just the stupid decisions that Herb keeps on making. And I have a lot of respect for Herb. I think he's uh, at his peak. He was one of the best referees in the game. I think it's time's passed now though. Like... What was he doing? Why was he even getting that close? I think he, was, he was standing over her. Yeah. He, standing over, he had one leg either side of her. I think he actually touched her with his knee. Clip, like he's that close that he like stumbles and falls forward like because yeah. he's trying to stop himself from going forward. And it, it, crazy, man. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, it's so unprofessional as well. I don't, I don't know if Dana commented on it, but I can't imagine he's too pleased because it's just like... It just, it, weirdly, it's the kind of thing you'd expect like a, a, an experienced referee to do. Not someone who's had like hundreds of fights and all that kind of or, stuff. Like, or Keith Peterson. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, an experienced yeah, yeah. ref or Keith Peterson. Yeah, um, yeah. But now I guess uh, we can group Herb Dean into that category. Um, what, did, what did you make of Rodriguez? Um, obviously, you know, it was quite a big upset, not a huge upset, but most people were on uh, on the Rebus hype train. So, She's a problem, uh, a man. Big She's a problem. Rodriguez. She's a problem. She's a real problem. I mean, all right, a ground game's non-existent. But, yeah. but actually, no, it was a, I don't think a ground game is non-existent because she's throwing elbows and punches from the bottom. So, I mean, that's the thing as well, right? Like, to neutralise Rodriguez, you've got to take away her arms because if you get caught, you go into sleep. Or maybe not go into sleep, but you might have a bit of a problem on your hands. And I think, I think she's just a really... Like, the thing as well, I think she's a really tough cookie. Like, you saw that in her last fight. Like, she, she is very, very tough. Um yeah. Mentally and physically, because I think she was a mat- like she must she must have been one of the biggest underdogs on the card. Thinking about it, I'm pretty sure Rebus had like, which is ironic actually, because I think it's the first time in the UFC that Rebus was a favorite. She lost. It's, it's just mind-boggling. But just going back to Rodriguez, thought a striking well again exemplary. Like she's one of the best strikers in in the, in the division. So I, I I'd like to see her get more of a push. I think I said on the last podcast that um, I'm really hot on Rebus. I am really hot on Rebus. I mean, you only have to look at Amanda Nunes to know that fighters, well, female fighters who lose can then go on to become champions. She's at a great team. She trains at American Top Team, Paige Van Zandt, all that kind of stuff. Like, trains at good sparring partners. I think she just had the wrong game plan going to the second round. And that, that's kind of like my frustration. I don't understand why she tried to strike with someone who is known for her striking especially when she dominated her pretty much on, on the ground, although she didn't pass guard. Um, but I felt like if she went for it, she could have actually submitted her just because of the, the golfing class on the ground. But why would you try and play in Rodriguez's play pit? She got like, carried away by the sense. occasion a bit. Like, 
I'm, yeah. I'm on a, I'm on a Connor pay per view. I'm on. The, I'm opening the main card. Well, that's what let's all she was talking. My, let's show off my yeah. striking. Yeah, that's all she was talking about on the entire build up as well. Like I was watching an interview with her with the schmo, and she was like, "Oh, this is it. Like you got knock on my great card, and like I, it's, I'm here to make my name and all this kind of." And it just backfired. Like we'll get onto it later, but I think fighters in general need to stop thinking about the future and just focus on the fight. Like, I, know, I, know, I know you get caught up in the moment of I know it's like when you've got cameras on your face and you're getting asked like stupid questions and you have to kind of um, placate everyone and, and give them the answer that you think they want to hear but just focus on your fight don't worry about like all the future stuff that's coming in and I think that's my frustration with the rebass like you, you, she's a really talented grappler just take her to the ground what, what, what was your game plan going into the second round seriously like why would you stand with someone who when she wants to can put it on opponents and finish them, and it was just a complete. I mean, well, I think I think Dana will be having kittens because I mean, well, that's another prospect who's uh, coming off the back of a loss. And it that, needs to stop taking great. the prospects to fight Ireland, mate. <laughs> yeah, it needs to yeah, stop exactly. bringing them over there. He's lost Buckley. He's lost Re- Rebass. Who else was there? There was another prospect we we spoke about losing. Oh, um, John Jones's teammate, the one who got finished by Buckley. What was his name? Jordan something, I think. Oh, I can't remember his name. Jack, oh, the, the Beverly Buckley's... Hills Ninja. Huh? Is it the Beverly Hills Ninja? Is that who you're thinking of? Jordan Wright? Yeah, Jordan Wright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's um, not... yeah. exactly. The there we go. Fight Island, where, where prospects go to die. Um, <laughs> right, I'll, I'll, I'll save some of your uh, Hebas um, hating for later. Oh, I say hating, but that's a bit harsh. For later, when we when we move on to our next feature. But um, we'll talk quickly about Muradov knocking out Andrew Sanchez, which was great because they were listening in to Sanchez's corner and I mean, between every round, they were saying that right is getting way too close. And I'm like, it's just missing you. It's getting way too. And then when I went into his corner in the third round, they were saying, watch out for that right, Andrew, that right is just missing you. <laughs> and as they were saying it, he got caught with the right, did the chicken dance, got finished. Um, how good does Muradov look? He's getting better every fight. I think it says something when he's the only fighter that's signed to Floyd Mayweather. Like, mm-hmm. you just know that he's going to be a star. Like, you just look at the Mayweather promotions, the amount of people they've turned over. Like it is just meant. I mean, I, I I could be all here all day talking about his striking. He trains with Yuri Prohachka. Like, I mean, that says it. That says it all, really. Um, I think he's like. He he, he could, do you know I, right matchmaking here. This is what I was thinking about earlier. How sick would it be to see him versus Kevin Holm? Just just imagine that fight. That'd be like, good. I, know it's, I know it's too early because he's it's only had like, two three fights in the UFC, but. If you look at the manner, he's, he was toying with him. He was literally toying with him. Yeah, he I don't know why Sancho didn't... I mean, not saying he would have been able to get him, but... Um, but to be fair, he, he did try to take him down. And he just stuffed the t- that was the other thing as well. He's clearly watching his takedown defence because he tried to take him down and he just stuffed it immediately. I think he has like an 80% takedown defence in the UFC. I mean, I know he's only had a couple of fights in the UFC, but... Um, I think I, I if I was Sanchez, I would have been trying more. Um, you know, maybe maybe he was worried about getting caught on the way in by a much better striker. But um, if I was Sanchez, I would have within two three minutes been like, "Shit, I'm completely outmatched on my feet here." Uh, maybe he got a little bit carried away after was it um, Wellington Terman that he, he knocked out in his last yeah. fight. Um, he was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm a striker now." Um, but um, yeah, a weird game plan from him. But what, and yeah, Murdoch it is weird as well because he, he trains at um, TriStar with Firesta Harbi, who's known yeah. for having like really great game plans. So it's kind of a bit like, why did you try and strike with someone who's like probably one of the best strikers in your division? Like, I mean, Murdoff, Just come back to Murdoff because I will, I will drool a bit. Uh, uh, the way he changes stance, it's so effortless, and he's always like, ah. Oh, uh, left's coming at you, know, it's like right. Like, he's, he's making his opponents think all the time. Uh, I think it could be a real, real problem for this division. Just, I mean, 
we haven't really seen him test against a, a proper wrestler. So, I mean, I know he's got a fight book, but like someone like a Brunson would be a good test. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'd love to see him against Till at some point because that would be a ridiculous fight as well. Just in terms of like the chess match, that I think it would be. I've got if if you if you're thinking about um, you know testing his weaknesses with the with you know against a grappler, my uh, my idea for matchmaking, which we'll get into later, is uh, is pure striking. It's completely the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see an, an insane kickboxing match with him. Um, so uh, like, well, the, the the thing I liked about him was, was his pacing. Like mm-hmm. first in all of his three fights in the UFC, he's not necessarily started slowly, but he's like ground on his opponents in terms of the striking in the sense that he's worn them down gradually and then gone for the kill and that's exactly what he did against Sanchez like he just gradually wore him down then when Sanchez was looking a bit worse for wear he just pounced I mean and, and that finish was just fantastic the chicken dance is like oh it's so it's, I hate I hate doing this because I hate I hate all the, the social media um, viral shit on, on fighters who who turn themselves into a bit of a laughing stock because it's just it's not I can't imagine it's particularly nice on them to look at look at it every yeah. five seconds but you do have to laugh because it is a bit of a chicken <laughs> it run. is good <laughs> he did he did he did do the stanky leg it was good um we'll move on to a fight that I have no idea why it was on the main card not wanting to disrespect Jojo Calderwood as a fellow Brit but why is Jessica I still on main cards I'm sorry but you I just, just have to say it, it. You, why, you just said why, it why is she why I don't even. I can't even begin to give you an answer. There's no answer I could think of. Because bizarrely, I think she has a decent pop on on social media. I think not necessarily like. I think she's got like a really dedicated fan base. It sounds really weird, but for some reason she's like. I've not seen them. I'm yet to to meet any of them. (laughs) I don't think I don't think it ever made Twitter, but I think she's got like. She's got one of. She's got a fan base that just tune in. I don't know what it is about her. It's just. Because I, I I don't particularly know why she sells so much, but I, that's the only reason I can think of. Like maybe she's got a, a decent audience traction. Maybe she can generate decent numbers. Um, I mean, to very be honest, striking was... by Calderwood though. Um, oh you know, yeah, what a I performance, mean, especially watched... bouncing back after a, a loss that would have taken a lot out of her because she kind of went into that Maya fight thinking, "Oh, I'm going to get my title shot soon," and then to lose, you know, in quite quick, devastating fashion with the submission was uh, would have been. You know, less lesser you know person might have taken that to heart too much and and really struggled to bounce back, but an insane performance to come back to. Yeah, I mean, her striking is just ridiculous, isn't it? Like, I mean, she, the, the, it was so effortless the way the the front kick she was throwing. Was but this is my frustration. Favorite, right? It was so quick and easy. Just boom, they're there in her face. Um, you know, like nothing. This is my frustration though. In terms of her last fight, she's a kickboxer at, the, at her core. Yeah. She's a Muay Thai kickboxer. Um. I mean, she picked her apart, really. Like, I, mean, I know Jessica I got against the cage, but she didn't do anything with it. She was just leaning on her and putting her head on her. Like, I thought I looked terrible, actually. Um, sounds really harsh to say, but I wasn't I wasn't impressed. And I, as you say, I don't understand she makes it onto the main card other than maybe the fact she might have some sort of traction. Um, but I think it was, I, to be honest, I think it was just more the fact that like they're, they're, they are, in a, in a weird sense of the word, they are names. Like, they are, they, you know who they are. Um, Maybe that's because Jessica I got knocked into the next entry it's, it's by It's because the here we go evil chant. That's what it is. That's the only yeah, yeah. explanation. It's, it's the doctor. It's the doctor evil. Loves it. Yeah, it's the doctor evil Twitter. Maybe I don't know. It's, but I love JoJo, and I'm great to see. It's great to see her get back in the win column because I think I've gone on record saying that like I don't want to see a fight Valentina Shevchenko, and I don't want to see a fight Valentina Shevchenko next. Like she needs for me, JoJo needs to go on like a decent run. She needs like 
she's the she needs to build her confidence properly i think for me um although her burp did you see her burp during like the, i think she, when she was on the stool like there's a clip going around of her like no, burping i don't think so i did see this she burped when she was on the stool and she put it on her instagram account and was like Oh, I'm so sorry, Mum. I left my P's and Q's in the octagon. Or something. I, I died because it's just so JoJo. It's so pure and innocent. Oh, no, she's 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 a great ambassador for the sport as well in terms of yeah, Scotland. Like her and Paul Craig are really carrying the flag. So it's great to see her get back in the win column, and, and it was great to see a British fighter actually win <laughs> for for once. Based on the last few weeks, there's not been many. Um, right. Talking of uh, pure and innocent, I feel like I should make an apology for our for our next uh, fight we need to talk about for the coming event. Um, Michael Chandler absolutely destroys Dan Hooker and you know before I go into this I would say I'm, a, I'm still a big Dan Hooker fan I know there's been some talk people maybe suspecting he's thinking about retirement because he took his gloves off and had you know no one's heard from him since the fight he's not spoken publicly or anything so I hope that's not true I love Dan Hooker and I hope he'll be back stronger and better but I do feel like I owe Michael Chandler an apology both as a person and as a fighter because when he joined the UFC and he was talking about you know, I'm the best lightweight. I'm the, you know, the best challenger for Habib. I was like, shut up. Like, you've come over from Bellator. Let, you know, let's be honest. You, yeah, you knocked out Benson Henderson, but it's Bellator. This is UFC. There's levels. And I thought he was cocky. I thought he was kind of annoying. And I wanted him to lose just based solely off that. Then in the build-up to this fight, you know, before we even talk about Chandler the fighter, Chandler the person won me, you know, won me around. Um, you know, you see his interviews. You see him at the press conference. You see him on Embedded. He's such a nice guy. Like, he's just such a, like, all he wants to do is show up, compete, show what he can do, show his best stuff and go home to his family. And uh, yeah, he completely won me round. His, uh, his post-fight promo was brilliant as well. Clearly scripted and rehearsed beforehand, but um, you know, I'll forgive him that. It wasn't, it wasn't overly cringy. So um, I thought he delivered it brilliantly. And now we have to talk about the actual fight itself where, I mean, what a performance against a guy in Dan Hooker who I really thought was going to give him real problems on the feet. Um, I thought Dan's range management you know, he's got those dangerous knees that he loves to throw at the middle. I thought that would kind of scare Chandler off the takedowns. But just the threat of the takedown had Hooker a little bit. You could see he was a little bit skittish, like he wasn't quite sure of Chandler, what Chandler was going to do. He didn't really know what to expect. And, you know, maybe just that newness of being, you know, his first fight in the UFC was a big benefit to Chandler. I'm not saying, you know, Hooker wouldn't have been able to watch Bellator tape, but, you know, maybe he wasn't quite sure what to expect. But, um, yeah, it was clearly the threat of the takedown. He threw that little left to the body and then, Jesus, the power on his right hand. Um, you know, there's always fighters in every weight class who have that that different power. You know, obvious example is Ngannou at heavyweight. Um, you know, Muradov at middleweight is a good example. Chandler is, I think, that at lightweight. I mean, he has that power, power that if he catches you cleanly, you're going to sleep no matter who you are. Yeah, I mean, it, it was his timing for me. Like, yeah. The way he closed range was just ridiculous. And I, I've said that so many times in this podcast. I do apologize. I need to think of something new to say. I'm just tired. I apologize. No, I, I think, yeah, the way he closed range so quickly was just nuts. Like, and that's what I thought was going to be a big problem for him as well. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I think Dan is known for that. I was as impressed by Chandler as I was a bit disappointed with Hooker. I thought Hooker Hooker looked to me a bit timid. He looked a bit. It seemed um, like he didn't really wake up. Like, yeah, you know, I yeah, said, and I, I he think, went to sleep obviously when Chandler hit him, but it seemed like he didn't really, he was never really that, in the fight, like really there in the moment. Yeah, I think he got a bit overawed. Like, he was on a McGregor card, he knew millions of people would be watching him. Like, he's not really had that kind of exposure before. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say. Like, I know he fought Parier, but it's not really the same level unless you fight McGregor. Unless you fight McGregor. No, yeah, McGregor even though that was card. the main event, there's, there's no, um, wouldn't have been anywhere near the same amount of people watching. And I think that kind of got to him a bit because he just looked like Dan Hooker never really looks looks nervous or out of his depth and mm-hmm. he looked a little out of his depth and a little overawed by the occasion and I don't know how much the, the absence of 
of Eugenie Behrman played a, a part in it because obviously Behrman's training Izzy and, and Kaikara France at the moment in, in the build up to their fights. So that's why he wasn't over on Fight Island. He's busy training other people. Um, I don't know how much that factored in because I don't know what his game plan was. He was just circling away. Like I, I think to me, it was either he was wary of the threat of a takedown mm-hmm. or he knew how much power Chandler panked because boy, does he back a punch. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I thought kind of, okay, yeah, you knocked out a an aging Benson, Benson Henderson, you know, you know, whatever. Like I said, I was kind of like, who is this guy talking all this game about being one of the top, like, but geez, I mean, he has legit part, like legit power. Man has um, hands. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, you mix that in with his wrestling. We'll get to this in it later when we, we talk about the future of the lightweight division, but, um, I mean, I can't wait I'm going on record here. This is the one time I agree with Dana. Please never, ever do a backflip ever again. Like, I don't want to see you injured for like 12 months and do a Johnny Walker. I was going to say, that's very Johnny Walker of him. Uh, yeah. But I'm not going to lie, I liked the backflip. It was incredible. <laughs> he got like 20 feet up in the air. The backflip <laughs> was almost impressive as the finish All right, itself. Tom Daly, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, ev- everything about Michael Chandler in the last few weeks has completely won me around. He's won me around as a fighter, as a person. And his promo afterwards was brilliant as well. Um, yeah. You know, saying, basically giving Habib his props, but at the same time saying, come on, yeah, come show me what you've got. I mean, and, we'll uh, talk about the match, matchmaking later, but like, I have to hold my hands up as well. I thought Hooker would, would dominate him. But... Yeah, I, I was I was on Hooker 100%. I was convinced his range management would be too good. His striking would be too good. And, it, you know, like I said, I thought he would use knees to kind of scare him off the takedowns, but he was the one that looked a little bit scared himself, like you said. Yeah, his um, idea so... caught in the headlights is mm-hmm. bizarre. All right, on to what we've all been waiting for. Conor McGregor, round two, knocked out. <sighs> how does a fighter at this level, I'll let you rant about this, not know how to check a leg kick? Uh, you know, uh, my problem here doesn't necessarily lie with Conor. It lies with two groups of people. The matchmakers, because I do think cage rust and ring rust sort of have an effect. I'm not saying it, it, it contributes to the result in any way, shape or form, but I, I do think there is some legitimacy in arguing that Conor needed some more, like a couple of, not as, you don't get, to, this is the thing as well, you don't get chewed up fights in the UFC, I'm not saying he needed that, but he needed an opponent who could like give him a bit of a, te- like I'd actually rather have seen him fight Gaethje before he fought Poirier. I feel like that might have been a bit more of a manageable matchup. Um, and that would have factored into like my crazy lightweight tournament as well. Shout out to Nick Pete for actually getting it confirmed by Dana. I love you. That was amazing. Um that was that was yeah. probably the moment at the press conference was it not only Nick Pete getting that getting that confirmed but from all and you know once once Connor and Dustin have said yeah let's do it Dana's not going to reject it like yeah exactly anything so great moment for Nick Pete but also Dan Hooker not understanding what had been said was fantastic <laughs> as well <laughs> they're all the like yeah yeah I'm in I'm in I'm in and then they were waiting for Dan to say something and he was like uh, I have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> so that was a great moment as well but going back to Connor like or going back to my problem with Connor and, and the fight itself. Yes, I have a problem with the lack of matchmaking, lack of fights, but I also have a lack of problem with the game plan. Like, it didn't look, this is, this is going to sound crazy because I'm, I'm sure it does, but to me, it didn't look like Connor. Throughout the entire fight week, he was, he was mature. He was calm. He was honest. And the McGregor of old, the 205 McGregor, um, not weight class, but <laughs> the event um just he had that brashness that ego that, that cockiness and 
that spirit and that it's hunger. It's like that... killer instinct, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. And all of that just seemed to wash away. I don't know if it was the 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 yacht or and I don't want to go on in and hit in on him because my again my issue is not with with McGregor per se. My issue is more with the the, the team around him. And I have a lot of regard for for John Kavanagh and and Owen Roddy, and I get on well with Owen. Um, so this isn't a dig at them, but I do think that maybe there are certain elements of the training that they missed out on because they uh, right. I'm gonna have a have a go at DC. It hasn't. It's lasted. How long we've been on here? How long? <laughs> it was only half the time. DC. Right. Okay. Here we DC go. Right. Terrible. Perfect. Yeah. DC said that ATT has started late kicks. Right. Let me let me just clear this up. ATT did not pioneer leg kicks. All right. That started. Well, it didn't start with city kickboxing per se, but, but they were the ones who, who really made it a mainstream thing in MMA recently. You only have to look at the first Max Volk fight to remember that. And even before that, all of Izzy's fights so far, he's utilized leg kick to death. Um, so it's a bit bizarre for me, to, 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 well, frankly, stupid that Connor didn't know how to check a leg kick when that's evidently what every opponent who's going to face Connor from now on will know how to do. Um, He's over reliant on, or he over leans on his forward kick on on his front leg to set himself up in range and, and and to close the distance. So taking away that lead leg is going to reduce his mobility and so on and so forth. I don't need to explain the basics of MMA in kickboxing to to, to explain that to you. But the fact he couldn't he couldn't check, and the fact he solid he basically solid relied on his boxing as well. I couldn't understand because again the McGregor of old, teep kicks, um, like oblique kicks at times like McGregor utilizes or the McGregor of old utilizes kicks a lot more and I think he I don't know if he landed one but he attempted a back kick um and it missed from from range because Poirier saw it coming and he just looked really flat-footed and it, it, it's, it's weird because I said the same I remember I said the same after he fought Habib um in that, that fateful day or that fateful night, it just looked, it just looked incredibly flat footed. And it was right. Like the whole, like touching gloves things, like it was all too chummy for me. It, and I, I don't think it was necessarily, it wasn't a McGregor that I recognized at all. And yeah, I, I'm I mean, not saying you, like, if we're talking about not recognizing it, you touched on something I noticed there with the boxing. Um, it was almost like he's been training boxing too much. If you watch the Eddie Alvarez fight, which I think everyone would agree is Connor's, you know, pioneer performance. That's just it was just an absolute masterclass against a good fighter in Eddie Alvarez. The whole fight, he had his arms out. They were out, you know, they were outstretched. They were touching Alvarez. They were, you know, getting his range, fainting. This fight, he, he had his hands in like like he was in a boxing fight for most of the fight. I mean, obviously there was a you know a bit of fainting, a bit of reaching out and, and getting his range, but so much of it, he had his hands like just up in front of him, like he was boxing, and that's just not how he was successful in the past. And, you know, you say about, um, you know, the feet as well, he, he was on his heels a lot more and not on his toes. Um, so the whole thing to me, it, it looked like he'd been training boxing too much and he was out there as a boxer in an MMA fight. And, you know, it, it was kind of almost like, that's exactly what would happen when you talk about boxers coming over to MMA. That's what happened to Connor. It was the really weird. shots as well. You know, when that, there was that weird instant when they were sort of like trading shoulder on the crowd went crazy. Yeah. It was just like, <laughs> it, it was just weird. Like it, it, to me, it felt, it felt a bit like I'm not saying he didn't put the work in because you're gonna have to go on his Instagram to know that he, he did put the work in. Oh, right? he was in insane shape. He was yeah. in the best shape he's looked in a, in a long time. But I wonder if not 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 an ego thing. But I wonder if maybe they thought, ah, oh, we've knocked him out before. 
his chinny and the power will carry, carry over to weight. But if that was the other thing as well, I don't know where Connor's power has gone, but it looks like he's lost a little bit of his power. And I don't know if that's an age thing or if it's a ring rust thing, but he's trying a little bit in the, towards the end of the first round. But yeah, um, yeah, I see what you mean. He landed a couple of clean shots that you would think, you know, Conor McGregor puts people out with those but shots. But I don't, know, I don't think it's power. Didn't. I think the power is still there. I think it's more timing. Like to me, his timing mm-hmm. looked off. Like he, there were very few occasions where he went first. Like Dustin to me, well, no, 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 correction. He went first a lot of the time, but Dustin was making the adjustments to counter. And I think Dustin's boxing has, I mean, I said this last week, I thought Connor was going to finish him. I thought, I mean, I think the whole world thought Connor was going to finish yeah, him. Yeah, sure. Other than Dan Hardy, shout out Dan Hardy. I don't know how you predicted the leg kicks thing, but it's all become more clearer the more I've read into it and studied it. And I think, but this is again, this is again my thing. I think Connor might need to change things up. I'm not saying that he should go away from from Kavanaugh and Roddy and things like that, but maybe he needs to bring someone in, like a bearman or something, as like a an overseer or a tactician to, to keep up with the times. I'm not so sure SBG are necessarily the standard that they once were, and I think ATT has surpassed them. I think a lot of Dustin's victory needs to, well the credit needs to go to Mike Brown. I thought Mike Brown has been brilliant the past well however many years, five years or so. As, as co- head coach at HTT and I thought he was bang on the money with the tactics um, and credit Dustin Poirier man I mean couldn't have happened to a nicer guy like the dude's a stud um, he was well yeah he was sublime cheeky ta- takedown in the, fir- in the first round um, pretty much control I thought he controlled Connor on the fence to, on the fence to be honest I mean I know loads of people gave um, Con- I mean, the whole all three judges had Connor winning the first round but I actually added to Dustin I didn't yeah. think Connor won the first round Um I know he, he he shook him a bit towards the, the latter stages of the first round, but f- for me, Dustin looked just bang on the money. Like, I'm not right. I'm not starting Max Eight. I promise. But can we can we just can we just talk about Dustin's boxing? Like, I don't know how. Don't don't start the best boxer in the UFC conversation. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> this is exactly what I'm doing. How can you say Max Holloway Max Holloway is the best boxer in the UFC when Dustin's beaten him twice? And he's just and Dustin has just it's beaten the man. Point. It's a fair point. And Dustin's just beaten the man who is probably the best boxer in the UFC. I mean, theoretically, Connor is the best boxer in the UFC. Like, it, it, it's just baffling. But again, as I say, it's well, actually, first, I have a problem with Dana because that should have been for the belt. That should have been a title fight. Habib's not coming back anytime soon. He would wipe the floor with everyone, including Chandler. Like, it's not happening. Strip him, get it done, put him on, put it, give him the Hall of Fame, um, get him an exhibition fight with GSP if he wants that. Like, I don't care. Just, for me, Habib's done. I think the chapter's closed. It's time to move on. But I was so impressed with Dustin, man. Like, can I can I give you my Dustin hot take while we're, while we're pouring praise on Dustin? Yeah, go um, If you take John Jones out of the conversation, and I say that because A, we all know he cheats, and B, he's in a league of his own. If you look past the cheating and just look at his accomplishments in the Octagon, he's in a league of his own. No one else even comes close to the, the list of opponents he's beat. is absolutely insane since he was like 22. Um Excluding John Jones, I think Dustin has an argument for having one of the best resumes, if not the best resume, in UFC history. You look at who he's beat, it's an absolutely insane list. There's some stats I've seen going around, so I've got them here. Um, Dustin has now given four different fighters their first career knockout losses since he moved up to 155. Crazy stat. Dustin has won against five former world champions. Conor McGregor, Max Holloway, Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gaethje, Anthony Pettis. And that was Pettis of a few years ago as well. That wasn't Pettis today. That's like a shadow of him, former self of his former self. Um, I had a look back through his record. 
he's beat Max twice. Um, he's beat Brandao. He's beat uh, Diego Ferreira, who's got a big fight coming up against Spinil Dariush. Beat Yancy Medeiros, um, Bobby Green, Jim Miller. Yes, he lost to Michael Johnson, but we know Michael Johnson on his day can give anyone anyone trouble when he actually decides to be, you know, prime form Michael Johnson. Um, had the no contest with Eddie Alvarez, then beats Pettis, finishes Pettis, more to the point, finishes Gaethje, finishes Alvarez, beats Max in, you know, a fight of the year contender, fight of the night, fight of the year, whatever you want to call it. Loses to Habib in, I would say, not a competitive fight because Habib is Habib, but he did about as well against, against Habib as anyone does. Um, and then, you know, great decision win against Dan Hooker, another fight of the year candidate, and finishes Connor. I mean, he's not just beating these former champions, he's finishing them pretty convincingly. Um, you know, the finish on Connor was convincing, the finish on Alvarez was convincing, the finish on Gaethje was convincing, and he submitted Anthony Pettis. I mean, as far as resumes go, like I said, you got to take John Jones out of the conversation because he's in a league of his own. I think Dustin has a genuine argument for having the best resume, the best, you know, most competitive list of wins of any fighter in UFC history. I completely agree, man. I mean, it's about time he got his fair dues. I, I, it's about time he got introduced to the casual world, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, it's just such an insane list of wins he has. And when he when used, used to fight a featherweight as well, like, it's kind of mad that he's, he's adjusted so well to lightweight. Like He's clearly mm-hmm. found his, his, his perfect weight class. Yeah. Um, I really want, I, I, a part of me still really wants to see him fight Tony. Like, I really want to see that fight. I'd love to see him fight Nate Diaz as well. That would be a mad... Like, can they just do a round robin of all those three, those four fighters, like Tony, Dayton, Nate, um, Connor and, and, and Dustin? That would be insane. But I think the best thing for me as well was that his wife was there. Like They're, they're really close as a couple and... It was nice for him to like. He's really close with his wife, is he, mate? No, no. What I mean is like, <laughs> no. I, I, this That's is my huge sleep news. Out of, this That's is my sleep out of brain. What I mean, what you I mean heard it here first on the Clinch Perfect podcast. <laughs> what, what I mean is, they're like, they're like, they're like the the typical American couple, aren't they? Like you know, like the yeah. um, the American. Like what is it? What is that TV show? The Americans where they're like, I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm so tired. Um, <laughs> no, they they are like the, the classic American couple, right? Like the the hardworking, like white collar, like. Started well, from the bottom. That's what yeah, yeah, to exactly. That's the one. That's Started what I'm going bottom. with. Thank you. Thank you for saving my ass. No, that one. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll pull you out of that whatever yeah, hole you're think, going I down think, there. I think. I think it was. It, it was just nice to see him get like all the, the, the. Applause and yeah. credit that he deserves for putting on such a masterclass. Because make no mistake, he dominated him in the second round. Like, and no one's but no one really has ever finished Connor in the way that he did. Like, I know Nate choked him out, but that's because Connor gassed. Dustin didn't. Connor didn't gas. Justin, Justin just wore him down and took his leg away. And not only took his leg away, he then went to the body and then went to the head. Like that, that's clear methodical game plan. Like uh, perfect, perfect performance. I agree. Right. Talking of, we've just gone through a perfect performance. Let's get on to a not so perfect performance. And we're introducing a new feature to our show. Um, I can't about, about him being close to his wife. Yeah. I can't <laughs> We can we can cut that out on the edit, maybe we can cut that out on the edit. Um, <laughs> you say that. There we, go. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have that capability. Uh, we talked about a perfect performance just there with Dustin. Now we're going to bring move on to a new feature we're introducing to the Clinch Perfect Pod, which is what we call the Garbrandt Game Plan in honor of Cody's three. Which one do we go for today? <laughs> same loss in a row. Um, so Garbrandt Game Plan. We just talked about a fighter who we think displayed poor fight IQ or a terrible game plan to begin with, and I'm going to go down the poor fight IQ route. Um, you've already seen it on my notes. I'm picking Khalil Roundtree. Um, how can you have a guy in Prachino in, fr- in front of you who you know is chinny, you know is susceptible to your power, and not only did he 
barely throw any volume in the first round, which is when Pratnia was most susceptible to that power, seemingly, based on his last few fights. You then hurt him in the second round and don't even really try to go for the kill. He just kind of looked at him like, okay, I've knocked him down now. Does that mean I win this round? Is it over? Like, he didn't even really go for the kill. He barely even went for it. Um, so, you know, from, from the first minute where, you know, I think he should have come out like a house on fire and just gone for the kill against a guy who you know is susceptible to that first round knockout, starts a little slow, um, literally three fights in a row, um, for, to, to then, you know, having him hurt in the second round. And then, yeah, in the third round, I guess you could say it's more his gas tank of an issue uh, as the issue than, than his game plan and his fight IQ, but he didn't throw anywhere near enough volume. I mean, how could he think he was winning that third round? He was just wasn't throwing anywhere near enough volume. Even if it wasn't landing that much coming back the other way, you have to you have to show the judges something. Um, so I just think he fucked up in all three rounds. So my Garbrandt game plan is going to Khalil Roundtree. I love this name. I love the name. Perfect. We need to make this like a... We need to get like graphics and stuff designed for this because it's brilliant. Uh, I, I agree. I, well, I don't agree with your pick because I've gone with something different, but uh, this is a solid option, mate. I think it's just disappointing, isn't it? Because like, at one stage, round two was tipped to be like someone could challenge John Jones and uh, all that kind of stuff. And it, it, like, it, it's just never worked out for him. And whether it's game plan, gas tank, chin. Charlie Walker ruined him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Imagine that was. humiliation. Um, I just, I just, I don't know where he goes from here. I, I, I can't see Dana keeping him around. I, I think, I don't know how many, I think he's got like a couple of fights left in his contract, but it just, because he's signed, obviously he's come, it's weird, isn't it? You come, it's a bit like Gus, you come back after retiring and look dog shit. And then like, where'd you go from there? It just yeah. baffles me. All right, hit us with your pick, Garbrandt game plan. Go. This is a tough one because part of me is like dying inside that she lost, but um, Amanda Ribas, I, th- I thought t- to go into the second round and try and strike with someone who is known for her striking and is clearly levels above you in terms of striking is just career suicide. Uh, I, I don't understand it at all. It just, it just it, it still baffles me and it's been, what, like two days since they fought? Like, I well, yeah, two days since they fought and I just... I can't get over the fact that she knew she had dominance on the ground. She took her down easily in the first round and yet thought, oh, I'll try and make a statement and knock her out and got completely, well, destroyed. <laughs> it's probably a, better, a polite way of putting it. I was, I was trying to think of a more analytical word, but yeah, she, she, she just got finished. Um, it's not a good look, really. You would have thought that maybe Rebus's striking would have been a bit better. Um I, 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 she hasn't really. I don't think she's really shown us an improvement in terms of her striking since she first joined the UFC. So that's a bit of a concern. And I, but it's weird as well because obviously she trains at HT and they're renowned for having game plans. And this was just like an unmitigated disaster. Uh, everyone, I think she was a well, she was an overwhelming favorite on pretty much like everyone's books. Um, I think she was the second biggest favorite on the night, except for um, behind Sarukan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think he was the biggest favorite, and she was next. And, and now she's going to have to go back, rebuild, and continue. I think the, the, the thing that swings in her favour is that she is quite a star in terms of she clearly has like a, a dedicated fan base who who root for her and, and all that kind of thing. Her. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to go that far, but yeah, that one. Um, I think, I think there's she's got the simps on side. That's all you yeah. need. MMA Twitter lover. Like, yeah. what more do you want? Um, but yeah, it was just, I just don't get it. I, it 
completely crazy that, that you'd think that you could outstrike someone who is known for her finishing and known for her punch power. Like, when you're essentially a grappler uh, who's still very much in the infancy in terms of her striking, yeah. she needs to go back to the drawing ball for me. Um, and <laughs> maybe think more about taking people down rather than getting your, their face in your uh, their fist in your face. <laughs> their face in your fist. Yeah, that'd, that'd be pretty good to be fair. Um, right. Um, that's that's our, our new feature of, of the week is the Garbrandt game plan. But moving on to one we've had before, which is when we play matchmaker. Um, we'll first do our best to what well, I just put on the notes, fix the lightweight division. But I think, in my opinion, it's pretty simple. I think it's really easy. Dustin now has to fight for the belt. There's no other choice. He, like you said, he probably should have been fighting for the belt this time. Dustin has to fight for the belt. In my opinion, the person who deserves that most is Charles Oliveira. He's on, what, a nine-fight win streak. I think most, if not all of them, are finishes. Um, most submissions in UFC history. The guy's on an insane tear. He has to get the title shot. He just destroyed Tony Ferguson. Gaethje got the title shot after he destroyed Tony Ferguson. That's obviously the way it works. Um, so in my opinion, the, t- the title fight is easy. You give it Oliveira and Dustin, and I think that's a hell of a fun fight. Oliveira's grappling could give him some real issues, but I think that's a hell of a fun fight. Then you move down to the next, you know, who's going to fight the winner of that fight in the next title fight. Michael Chandler has to be in there. Like I said, I'm, I'm completely on the Michael Chandler hype train now after disrespecting him in the build-up to this fight. He's turned me around completely. And obviously, there has to be Justin Gaethje. Um, I think those are the most two easy fights to make, and I don't really see an argument to not make those two fights ASAP. Put them on the same card. Where does Kevin Lee fit into all this? Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to mention him later. I'm going to mention him further down the matchmaking uh, trail. Oh, I know we were going with that one then. Uh, no, I, I agree, mate. I think you've got the, the lightweight tournament bang, uh, nailed on. Uh, the only one I'd add, the only caveat I'd add to that is I'd love to see Connor versus either Nate or Tony next. I think that's the route to go. Connor versus Tony was was my. Yeah. I didn't put it. I didn't put it in that because that you know this this is the champ shit. So Connor's not involved <laughs> in that right now. Not to hate or anything. Wait, if, if, but, if we're talking champ shit, I'd just love to see Habib come back and destroy them all because. <laughs> The the once the, the once of future king is, is a has, has flown his nest so to speak. But I think yeah, it sounds pretty solid to me. I mean, just looking down further down the list, Rafael Desanios versus Paul Felder rematch maybe. Um, <laughs> not a, not not more. I was actually thinking Felder versus Darius would be quite good. I think yeah, that'd be quite a good fight. Darius is fighting uh, Ferreira, isn't he? Which, yeah. you know, the, the winner of that's going to be right in the conversation as well. You know, maybe not for a title shot, but, um, you know, the winner How is Paul Felder be... still top 10? That makes no sense. Oh, wait. I think no, a I lot of people thought he beat um, Hooker. Okay. I think yeah, yeah, he's yeah, kind yeah, of still no, got the credit of most of I'd watch that. that I'd watch that rematch. That'd be a fun fight. Yeah, for sure. Um, especially when there's controversy over the decision. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, in terms of fixing the lightweight division, it's now a lot clearer after, you know, such dominant performances from those two guys. On, on yeah, there's Habib game. and then there's everyone um, else. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, but Habib is so, is so not clear about it. You, you see the... Um, do you watch Dana White's looking for a fight or whatever? Yeah, where he's just um, like, oh, yeah, great. You no, can, you know, I'm not interested. You can see Dana saying, he was saying to him, like, oh, imagine how much money you'd make if you and Connor fought again. And Khabib was just shaking his head like, this fucking guy, man, so leave me alone. My mate, um, Terry Suleiman, was fighting the main event of that card. And he went into, this is a bit of an exclusive, he went into the dressing well, Habib went into the dressing room like, after his fight and was just like, oh, like, gross. Actually, I don't know if he was fighting or if he might have been commentating. It might have been the, the former. He was Well, either way, he, he was on the UAE fight card at some point yeah. last week um, and he bumped into Habib and was like mad respect for you bro blah 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 blah, blah. like would have loved to see you come back and Habib was basically like 
Yeah, no, not interested. I'm gonna go like it's so clear. Apparently, Habib, it's apparently, so Habib, has ge- apparently Habib has genuine ambitions to be like a pro, a pro footballer. And like, yeah, he, tweet, he tweeted or posted on Instagram yesterday or today that um, you know he, he was running on the beach. He was like, getting yeah, in shape well, I thought, for my football debut. I thought it was bollocks. And then like Ali Abdel Aziz, like messaged to someone I know was like, no, 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 it's, it's legit. He's trying to do like a. a Usain Bolt kind of thing and crossover. I mean, to be fair, who wouldn't want to see Habib in like oh, the I mean, Aussie league? I mean, people would buy tickets. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> people would buy tickets. Um, Sell out. But uh, yeah, touch on what you said there briefly as well. Outside of the you know the title fight and the number one contender fight, I agree. Conor versus Tony is the right fight to make. Um, I think it's good for Tony because if he wins, it catapults him right back into the conversation. He can go about trying to get that title. Um, and if he loses, it's a money fight for him to go out on. And I think he deserves that because, in my opinion, he's kind of been shafted by the UFC in the past when they stripped him of the title. Um, I mean, let's you know remember how that happened. He was doing press for them to make money for them and promote the fight for them. Um, so, yeah, I think the UFC's kind of been a little bit harsh on Tony in some ways. And uh, I'd like, if that is his last fight, if he loses, I think it'd be a fair last fight for him to have to make a shitload of money along the way. Um Moving on to the uh, to the women's fights, Lauren Murphy responded to a tweet uh, that was asking if her versus Jojo Calderwood for the number one contender fight would be a good fight, and she said she was down. Do you think that's a good idea? I know you said earlier you want Calderwood to go on a little bit of a run. Is beating Jessica I and Lauren Murphy enough of a run? I think it's good. It's a, it's a good matchup for sure. I think that's yeah. quite a fun fight. Lauren Murphy's looked pretty good in the book past handful of fights so yeah I'd, I'd, I'd take that um, my only issue is that Laura Murphy is very ground heavy so it might not be a great matchup for Jojo considering her evident weakness on the ground um, can see it happening though I feel like considering how like shallow that division is it, it would make sense to, to put those two together run, so yeah, she yeah. Need, like she needs to be in, in that conversation um, yeah. and Calderwood I feel like the UFC kind of almost owes her a title shot in a way um, because of taking that Maya fight in, in the situation that she did. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. I think tough fight for Jojo, but probably the right fight. And Murphy seems down to do it as well. Um, we'll move on. You know, we've talked about Muradov a lot uh, previously in this in this episode, and uh, he's not the only middleweight contender to impress on uh, on Fight Island. So we got we got two matchups to make here. We got What's next for Muradov? And then what's next for Punya Soriano, who absolutely destroyed my uh, my pick for a prospect to watch this year in Dusko. And uh, that was what, last Wednesday's card, was it? Um, two very exciting strikers. What next? Who have, you, who have you got next for each of those guys? I mean, I'm going against the grain and I'm not going to say match them up together. I mean, that would be an amazing fight. Oh, it'd be an amazing fight, but you can't throw those two no, guys you together can't throw and ruin one of their runs. Um, Brendan Allen, that'd be quite a good fight. For, That's for who Muradov. I've got for Soriano, actually. Oh, do you? Oh, interesting. Yeah. All right, I'm going. I'm going. Brendan Allen from Muradov. Mm. Sean Strickland versus Soriano. That would be. <laughs> literally flames. got the opposite of what I've got. <laughs> I've got Muradov Strickland because I would just love to see those guys strike for 15 minutes. That'd be so much. I mean, I know Strickland has good grappling as well, but I don't think he would grapple. I think he'd be happy to engage. See, that, that's his strike. I mean, I was going to say Hamzat, but I imagine Hamzat versus Muradov. That'd be insane. <laughs> yeah, not, they're obviously not going to do that for it's just because of the rankings. Um, mm-hmm. I was saying that like, Akhmadov might be quite like it depends how fast they want to push him because that is quite like that, that is quite a jump. But like a Sharbazian would be quite a good fight for, for Muradov in terms of the striking and the wrestling. 
I think Shabazzian's probably taken some serious time off after the beatdown yeah. he got from Brunson, to be fair. Um, I take it, I, but that I was one I, I looked at. I think Akmanov would be a good matchup, though. Because, mm. like, again, you're, you're testing your strength against a legit wrestler grappler. So Yeah. Yeah, my, my picks were Modov Strickland just for the sole reason. I would just love to see that striking battle. Um, <laughs> I think Strickland's... I, it's it's going to sound harsh, but his ego would would make him not use the, the grappling skills that he has, and he would just stand there and strike. Um and also, there'd be you know he'd be doing his typical yelling at Muradov <laughs> in the fight, and Muradov could probably knock him out while he's yelling at him. Um, but uh, you know, I like both guys, and they're both super fun strikers to watch. So um, that's the matchup I would love. And then yeah, I actually went Brendan Allen with Soriano, um, <laughs> partially because I think that's a winnable fight for Soriano, and I'm a big fan of his. Um, I think Allen can be a little bit chinny, and that's the last thing you want going against Soriano. But also be a good test for for the young guy because. Um, well, Alan's young too, but you know, Alan has really good, really good wrestling, and and could take him down and and maybe hold him there, um, gas him out a little bit, see uh, see how Soriano fares if he's taken into deep waters. So yeah, that was my thinking behind those two. Just wait, I mean, middleweight is such a stacked weight class. I'm just scrolling down the, the list. Oh, do you know what would be a really fun fight? I'm just doing a dream matchup now. <laughs> Buckley versus Lungiambula. That would be nuts. Oh, well, Lungambula's last fight was terrible. I'm just going to throw that in there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he, yeah. I mean, his problems are less with his uh, his power and more to do with his efficiency, I think, yeah. than, than anything. But that'd be, that would be a real yeah, fun, a fight. fun fight. Yeah, that's a fun fight. The henchest fight in UFC history. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> two action men going at it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Moving on to our, our last note on the uh, on the agenda for today's episode. We talked about him, we hyped him up earlier, we hyped up his grappling, and that's why someone you just mentioned is going to come into this for me. Who is your pick for what they're going to do next with Armand Sarukian? Because are, are, are you feeding Kevin Lee to <laughs> I may or may not be. But you say feeding. I think Kevin Lee's got a chance in that fight. He's got you know, he's got good wrestling. And if you're gonna go up against Sarukian right now, you need to have good wrestling. So I think you know, you can't just bring Kevin Lee back and put him up against some bums. He needs to he needs to fight someone good or there's no point bringing him back. I think that'd be a perfect matchup for both of them. If Surikin wins, it's a good name on his resume. If Lee wins, you know, that's exactly what you want when you're coming back from a, you know, a little, a little break and a little dip in your career is to beat an up and coming prospect and, and say, look, you know, I'm still here. I'm still a legit guy. I don't think you can just give Kevin Lee some bum. See, I'm, I'm going in a different direction. I'm going, I mean, it's crazy because I don't think it will happen, but it'd be quite fun to see him versus Paul Felder. Just because I think Felder's like decent on the ground, good, good defense, like, and he's a bit. I mean, I love Paul Felder, but he's a bit of a gatekeeper. Like, if you beat Paul Felder, you're going to be climbing top ten real quick. And you know, but, Felder would be down for it as well. He's down. Yeah, for exactly. Like, exactly. He'd be like, and, "Fuck yeah, let's go." Oh, do you know though? Like, a Makachev might be quite fun, but that would be a real fun fight. That'd be a crazy, crazy scrambling going on yeah. there. Or he, I mean, actually, no. Leon Santos—he's been booked, hasn't he? Who's he I fighting? I think Max is probably a, a, a jump too high. Is, is Santos fighting? Is, right is Santos fighting Fiziev? Uh, I don't know actually. I can't remember who's fighting. Oh, do you know who, something we haven't spoken about? We need to speak about right. We can dedicate. I should have dedicated <laughs> okay. the entire podcast Sorry. to. Sorry, um, the bulletier himself. Oh yeah, we we. I mean, we were going to mention. The, we were going to combine the two cards last week into one episode on Friday. Yeah, uh, no, scheduling, episode. scheduling um, issues, a.k.a. Yeah. Tom uh, had uh, personal AKA issues to do with. Tom Bailey. <laughs> um, yeah, go on, go, go ahead and uh, big up Lee Rowan. Oh, mate, putting Manny on the map, isn't he? What a performance. 
was Absolutely fantastic dominant. performance. Like, but the thing as well, it's not just his performance that like really impressed me. It's his maturity. I don't know if you saw any of the, the clips of him going around on social media, but like he was very respectful when talking to Dana and being like, thank you for giving me this opportunity and all this kind of stuff. And the guy's turning into like a star. And it's because he's taking these opportunities to fight people who are beasts. Like DeSantos was, DeSantos, sorry, was, was no joke. Like yeah. really, really heavy hands, um, decent decent wrestling, decent grappling. And I think he's another one, like I said about Murdov as well, where he's looking better every fight. Yeah, like, because every, he's, he's... At first he looked a little raw, but you could see he had really nice fluid striking. And then uh, was it against um, Ricardo Ramos? He took him down and just destroyed him on the ground. He's beating opponents at their own death. game as well. That's the yeah. thing that's like really impressing me. Uh, I mean, building off his first fight, really. He's really... I think it's almost an upwards for me. I think he's going to get a promotion push just because he's... People are engaging with him. I, his story is... Rem- I mean, I don't need to tell you about the fact he got shot in the face because I'm sure everyone's read the, the story, but... That kind of thing is remarkable. Like it makes you a household name, and I think he's quickly becoming a household name, at least in the UK. Um, Americans, you need to catch up, wake up, because get on the gravy train whilst it's still there. <laughs> well, if, if we're doing matchups, then you know you're talking about him getting shot in the face. Surely he has to put on some weight and fight Blago Ivanov because he got stabbed in the chest. So you know it's a perfect matchup. The bullet chewer against the, which, uh, which is worse? <laughs> yeah, which guy is more badass? That's the real BMF. Right there, him up, Leroy Leroy Murphy against Blago Ivanov. Yeah, that'd be ridiculous. That'd be like Tony Ferguson versus Vadum. <laughs> I'm just going to go on the, the rankings real quick and have a look at the featherweight. Where are we? Where, where is he ranked? Uh, I honestly don't know. I haven't looked at the featherweight rankings. So he's 35th. Uh, oh, do you know, Miss Abektic, feed him. Feed Miss Abektic. That's harsh on Bektic. He's lost three in a row. Yeah, exactly. Feed he him. got finished by Damon Jackson. Exactly. Feed him. Get him gone. I tell you what would be a fun fight would be Amir Khani. I always bring up Amir Khani because I love him and he's, he's a fun fighter. <laughs> oh, do you know Charles, Charles Rosa? Be, Charles Rosa would be a good test. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tukigov would be funny because obviously the person he beat him, or he drew in, the first, in his first fight in his career yeah. um, is from the same camp. That would be a good matchup. I'm just looking at all these names. Like, I'm seeing your boy Tapuria. Definitely not. <laughs> uh, I don't want it. Tapuria would just grapple him to death. I don't think I don't see that fight happening anyway. Like, two no, you, can't, you can't put two guys that, that, that have got this much potential to be great against each other that early in their career. I mean, Mikani would make sense because he's ranked 27th. And he's had a couple losses here. Yeah. Herbert Burns as well. That'd be a good fight. Definitely. How is Herbert Burns ranked so high? What? Because his last name's Burns. And he, and he looks just like Gilbert. We just say that, that that card as well is looking very juicy. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that, that to me is the most interesting fight of the year. I know that's crazy because we've got like Francis Stipe too, but I think Francis Stipe too. I don't think Francis Stipe too is that interest. I mean, it's it's exciting, obviously. But I don't think it's interesting as we kind of all know. You know, either he's going to get slapped, Stipe's <laughs> going to get slapped, or he's going to dominate gonna him like again. The there's there's yeah. kind of one of two like pretty clear outcomes. Um, so I think it's not, not so much interesting as it's just exciting to see if Francis has developed that much. But um, anyway, before we uh, ramble on too much, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up and we'll be back next week with episode four, looking towards the uh, Volkov-Overeem 
uh, fight night. And obviously, you know, I'm going to be very hyped for that because I'm an <laughs> Alistair Overeem stan. And he was my pick when we did our predictions this year to be the heavyweight champion. I can't believe you picked the Ream for How can I not pick the Ream? I don't care if it's actually a realistic possibility. I, I couldn't <laughs> not pick the Ream. I mean, to be so, fair, I think uh, I said McGregor for lightweight champion. So I'd hold my yeah, hand. That, that prediction's already done. Um, okay. So, yeah, we'll wrap it up. We'll be back next week. Looking forward to that card. And um, peace. Thank you.